Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Uh, let, me, let me set this up, okay? So here, here we are, same thing, Jesus, it's, it's, it's Palm Sunday, here he comes, heading from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. And uh, it says this in verse 28, it says, when he had said this, he went ahead going on to Jerusalem and when he came to pass, he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent his two, and he sent two of his disciples saying, look, go into the village opposite you, whereas you will enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has, has need of it. Just a few things that you're gonna see a demonstration of right here, okay? First of all, here was this donkey. No one had ever ridden on it. In other words, it had never stepped into its purpose, okay? Listen, God wants to come into your life. He's ready for you to engage his purpose. And the first thing that happens when you step into his purpose, it's the very next thing that Jesus did to this Colt, Jesus said, you need to loose it. You need to untie it. See, God wants to untie you from the things that have bound you up, from the things that are hurting you. He wants to loose you. He wants to free you. Why? The third thing Jesus said, because the Lord has need of it. Do you know God, he needs your testimony. He wants to use your testimony as you step into his purposes to bring a source of light and freedom to other people. And if there's one thing that we have learned about this revival is how many testimonies God is using. He's using the word of people's testimonies, not only the word of God, absolutely, but the word of people's testimonies to bring hope and healing to others. And we're going to get a great demonstration of that today. And I think it fits beautifully within this Palm Sunday illustration. So church, we have with us today, the pastors of our Celebration Church, I-5, uh, or the I-5, part of the Celebration family, Pastor Jimmy and Irene Rollins, and they brought their daughter, Kayla, not Kaylin like my daughter, but pretty close, Kayla. Stand up, Kayla, and Pastor Jimmy, y'all probably heard Pastor Jimmy a few Wednesdays ago, wasn't it awesome? And his wife, his wife, Irene, shared her story, her testimony um, a few weeks ago, and it was powerful, and I said, man, Bam, we, we need that to be shared with what God's doing here. So give it up one more time for Pastor Irene. We're so glad she's here. Thank you all. I feel like I'm at home. I appreciate the welcome. Let's give it up for our amazing pastors, Pastor Stovall and Pastor Kerry. They are absolutely amazing. They inspire me. Amazing leadership. And my husband and I are honored to be submitted to their leadership and in the Celebration family. Um, thank you so much for welcoming my husband. I love you. 18 years of awesomeness. Yes, 18 years. We worked hard, but we're in, finally in the mature agape love part of marriage, and it feels so good. It was worth the work, baby. And my daughter, Kayla, as um, Pastor Stovall said, is here with us. And uh, I have a 12-year-old girl at home, Maya, and a 15-year-old boy, Jaden. So they send their love. They wish they could have been here as well, but I couldn't bring everybody with me. You guys ready to dive in today? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your presence. 
So much happens in your presence, so much freedom, God. Father, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice that you, your Holy Spirit has gone before us and is working in their hearts, God. I pray, Heavenly Father, that they would be inspired to take the next step in their purpose and in their freedom, God, and in their wholeness. In the mighty name of Jesus, we just commit this service to you, and we pray, Heavenly Father, that your presence would infiltrate this place and let your love reside in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm so honored to be here with you guys. Revival is in the house, and I've been uh, partaking in as much of it as possible and bringing it back to Maryland with me. But um, I'm on a specific assignment here today, and that's to share with you my story, my testimony of God's redemption power in my life. And um, how many of you know that in order to have a story, you've got to have an author? God is the author of my story. He's the author of all of our stories. Hebrews uh, 12 Two uh, says that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the beginning and the end. He knew when we would be born. He knows all the days of our, li- of our life. I love him for that. I love how he is the constant editor of our stories, how he comes in and rearranges our mistakes and rewrites portions of our story to bring him glory and so he could use it all for good. As Pastor said earlier, I also love how he um, is highlighting a portion of my story here today. And I pray, I pray from the bottom of my heart that you would receive breakthrough from hearing how God has used, turned all, all the mess in my life around for good. Amen. Uh, Revelation 12, 11, and I'm reading from the Amplified says, and they overcame and conquered him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. See, what this scripture is saying to me is that Jesus already paid the price. So we win, we have victory no matter what. What I love about this scripture is that it says we're overcome by the, also by the word of our testimony. So every time we share, like I'm sharing today, how uh, I've overcome uh, some things in my life and some challenges, I am punching the enemy in the face every time. Every time I share my story of God's redemption power in my life. Um, And you can do the same. He's after your story as well. And what I love about the word testimony in the Old Testament, um, it was uh, what it meant was do it again. So God always intended for us to share our story, to inspire others and remind them that if he did it for me, he can do it again in your life. That's what it's all about. That's what over, being overcome, be, conquering the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony is all about. Um, we all have a story. In fact, I, I love asking people when I meet them, what's your story? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Because hearing like all they've been through in their life, hearing um, where they're from, what their upbringing was like, tells me a lot about a person, what's shaped them into the person they are today. All of us have a story. All of us have a story that's being written. Uh, what I love when I hear other people's stories is I'm inspired. I take bits and pieces away from their story and I apply it to my life. I know that uh, my faith is increased. I know that I'm not alone in this journey called life and Christianity, growing in our faith. And 
I'm reminded every time I share my story and every time I hear someone else's story that he can do it again. If he did it for them, he can do it for me. Go with me to Romans 8.28. And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose and his plan. See, I love God, so check. Um, that part's good, so I know he has a plan for my life. And as the scripture says here, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that he will cause all things, all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly to work together to work together for the good of those who are called according to this, his purpose. I believe it. And it's time today to give it all to God so he can use it all for good. That's what I believe. And today I'm going to share with you a little bit about my all and all that consisted of my all of my life um, that God turned around for good. So it started, I'm going to take you back to my, I was in my mid-30s, well, early 30s, and uh, things started to rise up. How many of you have, know that undealt with issues will eventually come back? They'll eventually come back to get you. So in my mid-30s, these undealt with issues began to rise up inside of me. I began to have to face this Romans 8.28 and decide, you know, if I was going to believe that it applied to me too. And I, I, had to, I was challenged with, God, how can you use my all, all of that for good? How are you going to do that? I, it was kind of like a midlife crisis that I was experiencing in my mid-30s. These things began to surface and I began to unravel. Like, God, you know, my all kind of looked like this. It looked like sexual abuse as a child. I had never acknowledged that I had been sexually abused. In fact, I was so disconnected from the abuse that I didn't even really remember it until I was in my 20s. And when that thing started to rise up and tried to, the flashbacks, I began to get the flashbacks of it, I just kind of silenced it. I, you know, I, if you could just picture it, I was like blocking the thought, no, 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 I can't go there. I don't want to think about it. I felt like if I touched that pain that I would surely die. I could not face it. It was ugly, it was disgusting, it was shameful, and not something that I felt I could handle experiencing to get to my healing. All of that started to rise up. I was, more abu abuse ensued in my adulthood. I dated abusive men before I met my husband who were verbally and physically abusive and even experienced date rape. All of that yuck began to rise up in my life, in my mid-30s. I longed for the love of a, my natural father. He's with Jesus now. But growing up, he would um, go away to work overseas, and uh, we would stay here in the States with my mom. And what would happen is, I, what I made up when he left, a nine-year-old girl, I made up that I wasn't enough for him to stay. What I made up is that he abandoned us. He left us. We were not worth him finding a job locally so that he could be around us. I did not feel loved. So I sought love in all the wrong places. Love of my natural father, how I longed for that. And then my codependency. I had codependency more as a disease, literally a disease. And um, what... Uh, like if self-esteem, my, my, it affected my self-esteem to such a degree that 
if you could have negative self-esteem, I would qualify for that. Literally, I had no self-esteem. I, uh, my esteem was based on others. So I had other esteem, other esteem. It made me absolutely miserable. And the reason is because my self-esteem depended on how, what you thought of me and if I was pleasing you. So, you know, I was a, I was a professional people pleaser. No clue how to handle conflict. No clue how to uh, cope with life and uh, stresses of life. I had no clue how to manage um, relationships and, and, and dialogue with people and have boundaries. I mean, I could dialogue with people, but I'm talking about the tools necessary to cope with those things. Codependency as a disease affected those things with me. I struggled with communicating my reality. And then the, I think one of the worst pieces of my all was the toxic shame. See, I was born into shame. My mom is from uh, Zambia, and she is first generation out of the village. And she married a Caucasian American man in the 60s. <laughs> so here we are coming to the U.S. for the first time in the early 80s. And I'm biracial, and um, it wasn't, I wasn't treated very kindly because I didn't fit in with the black people and I didn't fit in with the white people. Wasn't white enough, wasn't black enough. I was somewhere stuck in the middle. Again, the whole self-esteem issue, just total downward spiral for me. My mom was uh, born from, her mom was the second wife. So shame was just part of my DNA. They were treated so poorly. My mom was treated poorly when we came here. I could go on and on and on about shame, but it became so toxic to me that it changed my brain chemistry. My brain was literally altered. I felt that there was something wrong with me. See, shame says I am bad. Guilt says I did something bad. There's a huge difference, huge difference. So what pastor was, was breaking off of us this morning was so powerful. There's nothing wrong with you. You are perfectly imperfect, amen? And this is just scratching the surface here about my all. So this morning, I want you to think about what's in your all. What's in your all? What's in your story that you have not, maybe haven't ever shared with someone else in the past, or you, you're hiding? What in your story does God want to work for your good? He's after it. He wants it. See, my childhood wasn't all bad. My parents had six kids. I had five siblings, three girls, three boys. Had a blast growing up. Great memories, traveling all over the world. I experienced things that many are on many people's bucket lists that they wish they could experience. I saw the world. I saw the pyramids. I lived in Africa. I lived in the Sahara Desert. I lived in Switzerland and skied the Swiss Alps. It was good times. Good times growing up. <laughs> But all along the way in my journey of life, as my story was being written, I was experiencing tr big traumas and little traumas all along the way. Those big traumas, I've named some of them, and some of the little traumas just added up to be a big trauma over time. You guys know about that? So my 30s, 
was kind of all of that stuff coming to a head and it wasn't working. My all wasn't working towards my destiny. It was working towards my detriment at that point. It was all beginning to surface and I was, and I was literally um, beginning to unravel. So fast forwarding, here I am in my 30s, pastor's wife, got three amazing kids and a bulldog um, and an English bulldog and, um, you know, pastoring a thriving church. Everything seems awesome. And boy, did I put on a front and made it look like I had it all together. But little did anybody know, little did I know, I had no clue how bad I did not have it all together. I did not have it all together at all. And when I stopped feeling like I had to have it all together, that's when I believed that God began to uh, work it all together for my good. It was in that moment when I'm like, I don't have to have this, have it all together. I don't feel like I have it all together. And that's when God began to reveal some things to me. So those undealt with issues, how many of you know that when you have undealt with issues, sometimes you, have, you run to something to cope? That's kind of like human nature. We run to something to cope. Obviously, God wants us to run to him. But guess what? I did not run to the Lord. Yes, pastor's wife and everything. I met, began to medicate with alcohol. And see, the crazy thing about it is it kind of crept up on me. I wasn't planning on abusing alcohol. I wasn't planning on becoming an alcoholic, but something that is so socially acceptable to have a drink with dinner, have a glass of wine with dinner and what have you, was not okay for me. See, my brain had been, had been altered at a very young age, being exposed to alcohol and about nine, 10 years old, having a beer a day. Um, I was told it had vitamins. I did not know that it was alcohol. <laughs> and it was altering my brain. A little alcoholic was developing at 10. I'm telling you, then the traumas and, the, and the, the PTSD, adding the element of alcohol, which again, was okay for someone else to have a drink, but for me, it was just the beginning of a downward spiral in my journey. In fact, if you go, um, Romans 12, two says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't become so well-adjusted to this culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And see, that's the dangerous part of what we're in these, in these times. We do things without even thinking. We conform. Just, it, again, because it's okay for everybody else, but it may not be okay for you. I, use, I was falling into a trap, and I was falling into the trap of the disease of alcoholism without even knowing it. See, in the first stage, it was just a glass of wine with dinner. Then it was two. Then two wasn't enough, and four wasn't enough. A bottle and a half wasn't enough. And you would think I would have like a, something inside of me that said, um, there's something wrong here. Mm -mm, I made excuses. Um, yeah, we're just, you know, Gagne's, that's my maiden name. We're heavy drinkers. We're just heavy drinkers. We can put it away and we can handle our alcohol. That's what all that's about. I admit, you know, suddenly I, there was, I had every excuse in the book as far as why I drink. So, you know, at gather, family gatherings, getting together with friends. I drank at Jimmy when I was mad at him. I'm, he 
ticked me off today. I'm going to have a drink. Then suddenly it was, um, you know, I'm lonely. I'm going to have a drink. I'm bored. I'm going to have a drink. I'm sad. I'm going to have a drink. Let's celebrate. I'm going to have a drink. Every excuse I could come up with. And it happened without me even knowing it. I started, went from being a normal drinker, normal, if there is a normal, to being using alcohol to, um, ta- to uh, um, basically take me to another place em- emotionally, to make me feel good emotionally. I was using it. And then the late stages, the impact of my habit became worse. I began abusing it. The frequency of abuse and binging was more. The hiding. I had the attitude of when my husband would say, honey, I think you've had a little bit too much to drink. Or do you notice that your frequency is increasing? And I was like, dude, I'm a grown woman. Like back up off me. Stop trying to control me. I know what I'm doing. I can hold my liquor. He was trying to point something out that was becoming a problem and I couldn't see it. I shut that thing down. Okay, but as I began to isolate myself from my friends, I was suffering in silence. I isolated myself from my husband and my children, suffering in silence. Because shame said, there's something wrong with me that you can't let the world know. And you know what? My BFF, my fun juice, my mommy juice, my come down, nobody's going to take that away from me. Nobody. The relationship issues at home increased. I was suffering in silence, and I honestly still could not see the issue, even though it was right there in front of my face. So I continued in the behavior of hiding. And I believe that when you're hiding something, you're hurting someone. How many of you know that's true? I was not just hiding and hurting myself. I was hurting my children and my husband. I was hurting my church hurting, more insecure I got. The more insecure I got, the more I medicated. The more I medicated, the more my depression increased. The more the self-hate increased, the more I became suicidal. I would rather have died than let my church know that I had this issue. And I felt like, you know what, my kids, Jimmy, the church, they'd just be better off without me. I can't do this. It's too much. It felt like it was too much. I'm a pastor's wife. Come on. How many pastor's wives do you know are alcoholics? That just can't be. It cannot be my story. I couldn't imagine my life without alcohol. I couldn't. Such a sneaky and evil disease. Evil disease. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he was devouring me. I hit rock bottom. I was borderline a danger to myself. I had hit rock bottom. And my husband, amazing man, as angry as he was with me, as hurt as he was with me for all the hiding and all the, 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 the dysfunction that was going on at home as a result of my illness, him and my children pushed me out the door and said, Mommy, you need to go. You need to go get better. He found me the best, best place he could find to get rehabilitated. 
I checked into a treatment program, okay? Now, I wish I had known back then, but now we have Honey Lake um, that your awesome pastors have uh, launched, and it's saving so many lives. But I went to a non-Christian place. Yes, that deserves a hand clap, saving people's lives at Honey Lake. But the place I went to was awesome. It was, um, it's awesome now. <laughs> not when I, when I just arrived, I was not feeling very awesome. But um, they, it, they <laughs> dealt with addiction through the lenses of trauma. So I learned, I went and dealt with my PTSD, got that diagnosis, got, um, you know, my anxiety issues uh, as a result of, I just thought I had anxiety. The anxiety was from the PTSD. The anxiety was from the drinking. Um, All of that stuff we got cleared up. I dealt with the issues of codependency at this place. We did some amazing work, holistic approach to healing. Um, It was so, so good. Uh, I got to deal with my processing issues, my boundary issues, because in order to stay sober, I had to know how to cope with life and deal with real life stress. Amen? How to process loss and pain. I love it, Pastor Stovall's teaching about, and Pastor Kerry teach about how to process pain in a healthy way. It's critical to being a functional adult. So... Hitting rock bottom for me and is when God began to use it all for good, okay? Going to trauma therapy, having EMDR, um, uh, talk counseling, sensory counseling. Uh, I went to, took the family through family therapy. We took the family through family therapy. We learned as a family how to raise our emotional intelligence and grow in um, our ability to handle and cope with stress in a healthy way. I made sure my children had an opportunity to share all their anger, their frustration, their resentment towards me, and we worked through those things. We're literally closer today as a family than we ever have been. My husband and I are straight up in a honeymoon phase, like brand new, it's amazing, and was worth the work. Yep. (laughs) So, you know, today I'm here sharing my all with y'all, right? Spilling my guts, sharing my all. But what are some things you're hiding in your life? What has become unmanageable? in your life. Maybe for you, it's the anger. Anger is out of control. You get home from work and you're just throwing things. Everybody in the house is tense and anxious because they don't know what kind of mood they're going to be dealing with when you come home. Maybe that anger is literally causing anxiety in your children and in your wife. Maybe to the point where the wife is starting to medicate or the other way around because they don't know how to cope with your anger issue. Maybe it's shame from past issues or bad choices or baggage from the past that you've never told anybody, nobody. You said I would go, you would go to the grave with those things rather than deal with them. Maybe for you it's addiction. It could be food. Oh my gosh, since I've been sharing this message, the, oh, just so many people have been coming to share about how they need help with a food issue. They run to food, turn to food to, to, to feed them emotionally. Maybe for you it's pornography or sex addiction or love addiction. Going hopping from one relationship to the next. All your worth and your value is in uh, the relationship. Being in a relationship when you're not in a relationship, you feel like you're not loved. 
So as destructive as they are, you keep going from one to the next to the next. It's become unmanageable. Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's um, the uh, prescription drug epidemic that's going on in our country right now. You started out with just some knee surgery and got some pain meds, and then suddenly you're needing them and you keep going and maybe you found yourself getting more and more dependent on them. I was in treatment with, I will never forget it, going into uh, this treatment center, humiliated. They're taking my shoelaces, my belt, the most humiliating experience of my life. And doctors and nurses and lawyers at stay at home and stay-at-home moms began to share their stories of recovery with me. Every single therapist, every single person in that place had been through recovery. Every last one of them. It was fascinating. It was fascinating. And what I learned is that, and I started to get a glimmer of hope, what I thought was going to kill me being in that place. I thought I wasn't going to make it out of there. I started to see the beauty of it when people began to share their stories. And I was like, oh, well, if they got through it and he's still practicing medicine, even though he was writing himself prescriptions and landed himself in a rehab center himself, um, I can do this too. Look at, I'm seeing these people walk around with no shame. That must mean it could happen for me too. And I dove into the work there. It was not easy, but I began to experience freedom when I, um, three, after I did three things, and I'm gonna share those three things with you. Um, first, I had to admit it. I had to admit that I had an issue. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. How many of you know that it is in that admitting that we surrender? It's in us saying, God, I'm an alcoholic, help me. Then his grace can come in. That's when his power is activated in our lives. His power is activated when we can admit that we are weak. When I can admit that I've been abused, then God could be into work. And when I begun the work and began to keep going down the journey of my recovery, even from PTSD and all the abuse, then God's grace came in during times when I felt like I couldn't even handle the memory. His grace came in and his power was made perfect when I admitted it, when I surrendered I remember thinking um, uh, in step one of Alcoholics Anonymous is admitting you are powerless over alcohol and that your life has become unmanageable. What in your life have you become powerless over and your life has become unmanageable as a result? I want you to really think about that and get honest with yourself because God can work it out for your good if you admit it. It takes you having the courage to admit it first. God, admit it. I had to admit my weakness so his power could work all things together for good. And it was like a weight lifted off of me. I fought that thing for 38 days in rehab, okay? I fought it. I'm not going to admit I'm an alcoholic. I'm not. Because I'm not. Nobody can force me. I was like just so against it. Because how could I speak something over myself? I'm a Christian girl. That's speaking over this disease over myself. But my therapist said, Irene, if it walks like a duck, it acts like a duck. It's probably a duck. You're an alcoholic, boo. Like, seriously. I had listened to all these people's stories, and it was like, "Mm, 
yeah, oh, that doesn't sound like me. Oh, if I had to be honest, it did sound like me the more I thought about it. It sounded like me, I drink alone, I drink to numb. Oh my God, Lord help me. But let me tell you something, the moment I admitted my weakness and said, I, I, my name is Irene and I'm an alcoholic, it's like a weight lifted off of me. And God's grace swooped in like nobody's business. And those people cheered, they cheered like crazy. They were like, finally this chick, oh my gosh. They were like, you know, watching me struggle in denial, but they didn't judge me. They loved me through it. But I, you know, I didn't know what an alcoholic looked like. So until I had spent enough time hearing other people's stories and hearing their, their, how they overcame and hearing how I identified with their stories, that's when I began to admit it and realize it was me too. But I couldn't quit it until I admitted it. My question for you today is, what have you found yourself powerless over? And what's become unmanageable? Got to admit it first, and then you got to accept it. The second part of 2 Corinthians 12, 9 reads, So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. See, sometimes it's hard to accept. Sometimes it's hard. it was hard for me to accept that alcoholism was part of my story. I was like, Lord, does this have to be a part of my story? Does it have to be? It's so embarrassing. Like, I had so much shame in reference to this that there's, I just was in such denial about that. This has to be my story, Lord, come on. The pain and turmoil I put my family through. I had to accept that I, put, I did that. That happened. When I got messed up in the disease of alcoholism, they suffered because it's a family disease. It doesn't affect just one. I had to accept that the consequences were sometimes out of my control. There are relationships that aren't going to look the way I want them to look because they're forever altered because of my behaviors when I was crazy-making in my head. The disease of alcoholism made me crazy. I had to accept that people might find out one day. Talk about anonymity being out the door right now because clearly everybody knows now, but... Um, it's definitely worth it. I had to accept that I related to all those stories, that hiding it and relational issues, that all of that was part of the disease. I had to accept that I was determined to still have something that was this thing called alcohol, and I was putting it above my husband, and I was putting it above my God. I was putting it above my relationship with my kids. I was, I was literally was like, I cannot imagine my life without alcohol. I got to have it. Like I completely threw all of my rational thinking out of the window. My problem had become chronic. It had become a disease, distorted my thinking and had taken over my body. But God's grace and forgiveness applied to me too. And I had to accept that too. Believe it or not, God's grace doesn't apply to you, just you guys. <laughs> Me too. Like, I get it too. Like, I don't think you understand. There's someone out here in this audience that he is in church all the time, and you're hearing about the grace and the mercy of God, but for some reason you don't think it applies to you. I was stuck there. What a miserable place to be. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It is a lie. I had to accept that alcoholism was a part of my story and that God could still use me. 
I had to accept that it was through this weakness that his power would be made perfect. And you know what? Now I can boast. Now I can of the weakness because of the power of Christ that has been working in me. Now I can boast that I am a grateful recovering alcoholic. Amen? Now I can boast because... Guys, I survived a disease that few recover from. So many people die from this disease, and I am a walking, talking miracle. You hear me? I am still married. My children love me. My church family loves me. Your pastors still believe I have a call of God on my life and have trusted me to share my story with you all. This is the God that we serve. A God that redeems our stories. And guess what? He did it for me, and he can do it for you. Amen. So you've got to admit it. You've got to accept it. And last but not least, you've got to apply it. How does God make it all good? You've got to apply everything you learn in your healing process to your everyday life. All the principles in AA that I learned, I apply to my everyday life. I am reevaluating what in my life is becoming unmanageable that I need to address right now. What am I abusing or using as a numbing agent? What in my life is becoming unmanageable that God wants me to deal with? And I, it's so crazy how um, the principles of AA apply to really all it's everyone. It's actually they came from the Bible, by the way, um, all the principles. But making amends and doing all of those things, applying it. Like, um, application came from my hearing other people's stories about how they fell into relapse. Relapse, I learned, is not something that, an event that just happens. You don't just pick up a drink. It was a process that got you to relapse. So me pursuing my emotional health is application. Learning about emotional health, application of what I'm learning and applying it to my life. You guys have, we have freedom ministry. Get plugged in in freedom. Get into freedom. Get into counseling. Get into talk therapy. Maybe there's a mentor, friend, you just need to say that thing. Maybe it's here at the altar when pastor does the altar call later. You just need to open up and share that you were abused. That Whatever it is that's holding you back from an experiencing joy in the land of the living, I declare and I decree that it will no longer have you bound. You've got to admit it. You've got to accept it. And you've got to apply the word of God over your life. It's got to count for something. Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Romans 11:29. for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, for he does not withdraw what he has given, nor does he change his mind about those whom he has given grace or to whom he sends his called. He hasn't changed his mind about you. I don't care what you've been through, what you've been hiding. He has not changed his mind. His grace applies to, be, to you too. 
His love is reckless. His love is relentless. And nothing can separate you from the love of God. But you got to take the first step, church. And pastor's going to come up here and he's going to do the altar call. And let me tell you, today would be an awesome day for you to punch the enemy in the face and make the first step to admitting whatever it looks like in your life, whatever my story has, has triggered in your situation, I pray that the Lord would open your heart that you may take that first step in your healing journey and your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message.